I love weddings. And what I love about weddings is, is watching the, the groom's face as his bride comes toward him. And they're totally focused on each other. The bride's eyes are on her groom's face. The eyes of the groom are on his bride's face. It's a wonderful picture of what needs to take place in the marriage. You see, the eyes of the spouse should be on the other spouse, not on himself or herself. You see, the wedding day, that wedding day is one important moment in the life of the relationship. But the marriage, the marriage itself is a lifetime. And when a person receives Jesus in saving faith, it's a beautiful moment of conversion. Because at that moment, the gospel made sense for the first time. At that moment, that person's eyes are totally fixed on Christ, totally fixed on the cross. Do you remember your conversion? That moment when you gazed upon Christ in saving faith? That was a very important moment. And what comes after that moment is a lifetime of fellowship with Jesus. A lifetime of fellowship. Which means it's a lifetime of knowing him. A lifetime of enjoying him. A lifetime of even glorifying him. Are you growing in knowing Christ? Are you enjoying Christ at this moment in your relationship with him? Are you glorifying him? Are we? Are your eyes still fixed on Jesus as they were the moment of your conversion? Do you still see him? Are you still fixed upon him? General William Booth, he is the founder of the Salvation Army. He said to a group of soldiers, I want you young men to always bear in mind that it's the nature of a fire to go out. It's the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred. You must keep it fed and the ashes removed. It's our nature. It's our nature of our eyes to wander from Christ. They're prone to wander away from him. Oh, him says that the bride's eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I would not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gives, but at his pierced hand. There are times when we do gaze at glory. I know I do. There are times when I gaze at the crowns and gifts that Jesus gives. And I know you do the same. Gazing at glory and gazing at the gifts he gives are ashes. that smothers out our passion for Christ. Because they take our eyes away from him. They take our eyes away from our first love. And we place it on glory. Or the gifts that he gives us. So the question for us this morning is, what brings us back? What, what brings my eyes back to the cross when they wander away from it? What keeps the fire stirred and fed throughout my lifetime? Not just at the moment of conversion, but as I live the rest of my life, what keeps my excitement about Jesus alive? The passion alive? Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul shows us in those five verses, he shows us what keeps the fire going, what keeps the fire stirred. In those verses, we, we see clearly that the eyes of Christ, the eyes of our Savior, are on his bride. Even now in heaven, he intercedes for you, his people, his church. What brings our eyes back to him? 
is the spirit who continues to reassure us of the gospel promises that are ours in Christ. Those promises that, that you believed when you first came to him. Those promises that were sweet when you first came to him still need to be sweet to you now as you live in fellowship with him. Are they still sweet? Are they better? Or have you forgotten them? Because you're gazing upon other things. Gazing upon other saviors. So what's the first thing the Spirit reassures us of? He reassures us of his grace that is ours in Christ. This is what Paul shows us in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Paul has a pastoral heart here. He wants these Corinthian Christians and us as well to, that, that God's grace has been given to us. And he thanked God for the working of his grace in their lives. See, I find it, I found, I find it interesting here that, that the church in Corinth, it had many issues and promises, many issues and problem, problems. If you ever read through the book, you know that. There was many issues. There were divisions. There was infighting, fussing and fighting over spiritual gifts. And Paul spent half of the book correcting the believers in the way they were behaving and living. But here, in the very outset of the book, he thanked God for the working of his grace in their lives. I'm like, what gives? What message is he communicating here? Is this. When you place these verses in the context of the whole letter, you, you will see they actually serve as a backdrop to the whole book. That Paul knew that God's grace was at work despite what he's getting ready to correct the Corinthians for. That God's grace was still at work in their lives. Even though there's divisions in the church, even though they're fussing over spiritual gifts, God's grace is still at work. Do you believe that? Do you believe our sin can cancel out his grace? Well, do you? Yeah, quiet. <laughs> no. His grace is always greater than our infight and our issues and our problems. He knew that God's grace, God's grace has freed them and us from the power of sin. So before Paul corrects them, he reassures them that God's grace is still at work within your church within you, no matter what you deal with, no matter your struggle. His grace is always and will forever be greater than our sin. And look at your life and your struggles and your battle with sin. Those things that, that we see on the surface, our problems, our sin, know that God's grace is greater. And we often forget that. We often forget it. We wake up the next day thinking, He doesn't love me. Because we forget, man. We forget the gospel every day. I know I do. You have to believe that. That he who began a good work. He who began a good work. Would do what? Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you who began a good work. It doesn't say Alex who began a good work. He who began a good work in you. We carry it on to completion. Is God a man that he should lie? No. He's faithful to his word. And what he began in your life, he will see it to completion. That is water to your soul. 
if you're drinking it. Are you drinking it? It's water to your soul. So what does that mean? That whatever you're going through, somehow he's going to use it to build you up. Whatever our church goes through, the struggles that, that is to come for us, he will use that to strengthen us as a body, whatever it may be. Because he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Now this grace that he's given to us as believers is a free gift from God. It's not based upon our marriage, not based upon us trying to earn it. It was given to us. We receive it as a gift. We are passive recipients of this grace, as one person said. And God is the agent who gives it. We just receive it. This was true in the first century church, and it's still true today. That God's grace, we're passive recipients of that grace. He's the agent. And it's given to us only in Christ. Only at him. And it's given to you at the moment of salvation. At the moment of conversion. Even as you heard about the testimony about Christ and he was confirmed among you. That's the preaching of the gospel that went forth in Corinth. Paul lived in Corinth for 18 months. He was there proclaiming the gospel, preaching the good news. And in Acts 18.9, this is what the Lord told Paul. Don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you and harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Many in the city who are my people. So you go preach the gospel. Be faithful. And Paul used, God used Paul and others in Corinth to build and establish this church. The gospel message went forth. Just as we heard from Anna and the gospel going forth over in China. He takes the gospel to every part of the world. And it's going forth in every area of the world right now. Even in places you don't think it's going forth. Just because you ain't there doesn't mean it ain't there. And it was here before we got here. Gotta believe that. It was here before you got here. It was in Huntsville before we got here. It just didn't show up when we put a little sign up. And if you think that, then you gotta go do do business with Jesus because you have a small picture of his kingdom. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than this church. And he is the one who carries it to completion. I said this before, the work will outlive you. It's going to outlive me because it ain't mine. We're all shepherds. Under shepherds of the king. And it's his work and he will do it. This message of the gospel that Paul preached, a message of grace, it's a message, it's a message centered on the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And it's not a message about us. It's not about us. He lived the perfect life, right, by obeying God's law. He paid the price for our sins, right, on the cross. And so now in Jesus, those who were once enemies of God, that's what you were. That's what you were. Think about that. You were an enemy. You weren't a friend. You were not his ally. Before Christ came and saved you, you were his enemy. Enemy. Military language. Like our country has enemies that we defend our country from. You are enemy of God. But when you came to know Christ, what did Christ do? He reconciled you to him. He turned enemies into friends. Man, that's the power of the gospel. 
That's the power of the gospel. It's like Osama bin Laden becoming the friend of our country. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of enemy we were to God. But the gospel came in. Jesus died and brought us peace with him. In the wrath that God is no longer on us, we are now friends with him. Friends. Are you God's friend? Are you his friend? Or are you still an enemy? There's one or the other. And the only way you can be a friend is through Jesus. It's not by going to church. It's not by doing good works. It's not by earning you earning it. You can only receive that gift. And it comes in saving faith to Christ. For he is the bridge that bridges the gap between God and man. And it's all free. It's free. Free. We are passive recipients of this grace. God is the agent. And it's the Holy Spirit who applies it to us. He's the one. I've shared uh, uh, with you before about my testimony because um, when I grew up, I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, I started going to church when I was in eighth grade, the first time I ever been to church. Because my mother recently became a believer and she made us go. And I had to sing in the choir and all that. I didn't like it. I was the only guy in the choir and I couldn't sing. I couldn't march. I couldn't clap. I couldn't do nothing. But I still I had to do it. But that, again, that was a seed being planted in me. And even then, even growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in, there are some families, Christian families were coming into the neighborhood and they had this thing called Bible Friends. And they got all the kids up uh, in the projects and, we, and every Saturday we, they would teach us about Jesus. Teach us about Jesus. I, I, they gave free food and stuff, so that's why I went. But they preached the gospel every week. Every week. And, and seeds were being planted in me. When I was in high school playing football, a classmate Share Christ with me then. And I said, and he, I said, well, I'm a good person. I said, I think I'm a believer. And so all those seeds were planted in me. I thought I was a Christian. But when I got to college, my freshman year, I went to this meeting and this guy stood up. Again, presented the gospel. Something was different. The gospel wasn't different. What was different was all those seeds that were planted in me years past grew. Because that night, the Spirit moved in me. For the first time in my life, I saw I was a sinner. That I needed forgiveness. That I wasn't good enough. Didn't care if I wasn't like all my other friends who did different things. I still was a sinner. And that night, 1996, the Spirit called me into saving faith. That's what the Spirit does. That's the effectual calling of Him when He applies the gospel of grace to us and we receive it in saving faith. He is the one that awakens our dead soul so that we can embrace the gospel in saving faith. Have you embraced it? Have you embraced it? Are you still embracing it? I'm sure most of you have heard of the the book series. Uh, I have one or two of them called the the complete idiot guide to different things. And I think we need one for the gospel. You know, a complete idiot's guide to the gospel. And it would constantly remind us that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you at conversion, and it's not about you after conversion. 
That's what the complete idiot's guide to the gospel tells us. And every day you need to pull it out to remind yourself of it. It's his grace. It's his work. His salvation. He does it all in and through Jesus. It's faith in him. It's his grace, not mine. And what did he say in John 15? I am the branch. You are divine. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in him. Abiding in him. Always. Conversion got you into the vine. And through him you bear fruit. It's all Jesus. You're never going to get to a place in your life where you don't need grace. But every day we want to. We want to because I want to be independent. I want to do things my way. But you're never going to get to that place where you're not needy, where you're not codependent. Because that's what the gospel tells us that we are. And that's a good thing. It's a grace for a lifetime, not just grace for a moment. It's grace for a lifetime, not just grace for the moment of conversion. If that's all you have, if that's your view of grace, you're not going to have an enjoying Christian life. You're not going to enjoy it because you're always going to try to earn what you already have. Our Corinthian brothers and sisters, Paul reminds them it's his grace. And they received it and accepted it in faith through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, because of that, they were now being enriched in him in every way. This enrichment was spiritual gifts. This is what Paul is talking about here. Verse 7, verse 5 and 7. In every way you are being enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is something that we receive. Something has caused the Corinthians to, to have this abundance, to have this enrichment. And he's not talking about material possessions here. He's talking about spiritual riches. Something that's been done to them by the Spirit. And these are spiritual gifts that are being produced. Fruit that is being produced in them. You don't produce your own fruit. We know in Galatians 5, that's the Spirit's job. All the gifts you got, whatever your spiritual gift is, it's a gift of the Spirit. And so guess what? It's not your gift. It's His you are a steward of it. It's not yours. You are a steward of it. And God has spiritually enriched all of us in every way. For the Corinthians, he said he has enriched them in speech and knowledge. Uh, spirit That could be prophecy, preaching and teaching, knowledge and spiritual insight and discernment. So he's building them up. Giving them the things that they need. And why does he highlight these two gifts in, in the Corinthian church? I said this before the last time I preached in Corinthians. Is that, you know, during this time in, in the first century church, again, philosophy, rhetoric, rhetoric, and all these things were properly within the culture. And we had to realize that some of that stuff carried over into the church. And you see that as you go on in the book. That the people were struggling with that. Create divisions in the church. Well, I'm going to follow Paul. I'm going to follow Apollo. All this and that. The Corinthians' greatest liabilities and strengths lies in their gifts. That's what one commentator said. 
And we all have a natural tendency to misuse the gift that God has given us. We can lord it over believers. We can be self-righteous about it. Or even get jealous and envious because we're not, we don't have the gifts that other people have. That's my struggle. I get jealous of other preachers when I think they're better than me. And that's sin. That's sin. They're his gifts. He's given to them, given them to his church. You've been enriched. And you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Do you believe that? When he says that to that church here, and he says it to you, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Do you believe that? That we as a church, we're not lacking in any spiritual gift. The gifts are to be used to build up the church, not the self. Romans 12, Paul says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Right? In this church, all of us have gifts that differ according to the grace that's been given to us. So let us use them for the purpose of building up one another, not building up ourselves. That's the purpose of the gifts. Are you a good steward of the gifts that God has given you? Am I a good steward? Of the gifts he has given me. Am I using it to build up his kingdom? Or is my using it to build my own? Whatever the gifts may be. How are you using it? How are you using it? He says here, he goes on to say, We're not lacking in any spiritual gifts as we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea here is you, you eagerly wait with great expectation. And these spiritual gifts that we have, I believe here, are showing us that they are the temporary provisions that God has given us as we wait for Christ to come back. Temporary provisions that Jesus has given us. Because the focal point of life are never the gifts. It's never the stuff that he gives. But it's him. And we have, we have a tendency, even in the gifts, we can focus on that. I think I have the gift of preaching. And I'm in sin whenever I make that the focus of my faith. I'm in sin. Because I've said that this is my first love and not Christ. If you have whatever you're, you're good at, whatever God has gifted you at, you are a steward of that. Don't make that your identity. Your identity is always and forever in him. And that's never going to change. Okay, how great a parent you are, a great a spouse you are, that stuff cannot be your identity. It can't be your first love. Jesus is your first love. Remember the quote I said, I would not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crowns he gives, but at his pierced hand. That's all the days of your life, beloved. All the days of it. So we are to be good stewards of those gifts, material gifts as well. Don't gaze at the crowns. Gaze upon him. Live in fellowship with him. Through knowing him, enjoying him, and glorifying him. That's how we live in fellowship with Christ. Knowing him, enjoying him, glorifying him. So these spiritual gifts are temporary provisions as we wait with great expectation for the second coming of Christ. Like a child waiting in bed for Christmas morning. 
And if you're a kid here, you know what that's like. You can't sleep. You can't wait to wake up because of the gifts that you think are going to be under the tree. We should have that excitement as we wait for him to come. Do we have it or is it gone? Or is it burned out because of life? Or do you think this life is all there is? Are you waiting with that kind of great expectation? We should. Because we know when he comes back, what happens when he comes back? What happened? What is going to happen for his beloved when he returns? The promised gift of eternal life is going to finally be realized. It's just a promise now. We don't fully grasp it yet. But when he comes in glory, we're going to grab it. We're going to have it. It's going to be ours. We're going to have it as real as day. We wait in great expectation for that. Because we know what waits us on the other side. The things here, temporary provisions. The thing there, eternity. Heaven. Salvation. A lifetime of returning with Jesus, which is not temporary provision. It's eternal, which we're going to get when he comes. Are you ready? Are you scared? If you're his beloved, there's no fear. No fear in death if you're his. Because you know what waits you on the other side. And the best news about all that is that gift of eternal life is eternally secure. You can't ever lose it. You can't ever lose it. 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's eternal security spelled out as clear as possible. That means when you wake up on Christmas morning, you're going to have gifts on the tree. And ain't no thief going to break in and steal them. Because Jesus is going to keep your gift of salvation eternally secure. You can't lose it. Do you believe that? Do you think you can lose it? The gift he's given you. Because if you think you can lose it, you're going to all, what's, what's the natural response? You're going to work hard to try to keep it. Well, I got to do more of this so I won't lose the love and affection that Jesus has given me. You, had, you didn't earn it in the first place because you can't. A free gift that is eternally secure. Because what? He paid for it with his life. His blood was spilled to give you that gift. And it was a good sacrifice. It was a good sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice needed. He fulfilled it all. And he will sustain you to the end. Man, that's good news if you're struggling right now. That's good news if you're not struggling because you know you don't sustain yourself. He will sustain you to the end. Guiltless. Guiltless. If you should be guiltless. That when God comes and Jesus comes in glory and when he sees you, he's going to see my guiltless child. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go home. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going to go through, no matter what awaits you 
down the road for struggles or suffering, know that you will be sustained to the end. See, it's easy to believe this stuff when life is well, when things are going well. Struggles come. If you're not in one, one is right around the corner. But you've got to go back to this, reassuring yourself of what you have in Christ, those gospel promises that it's his grace, his gifts, and he's sustaining me. No matter what my circumstances say, no matter what my circumstances say, the gospel is better. The gospel is true. No matter what the world says, no matter what I'm going through, he will sustain you to the end. So what brings our eyes back to him? What keeps the fire stirred in us? It's the gospel. His grace, his gifts, his eternal security. He's called us. He's blessed us. He sustains us gifts, And most importantly, he's going to do all this. Why? Because he's faithful. That's what verse 9 says. For our God is faithful to do all these things that I just said. Because he is the one who called us into fellowship with his son. And he is faithful to see, it, see all this through. It's his him. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. And I needed this, Father. I need this. Because so often I forget that it's grace. I think it's performance. I forget that I'm a steward and these are your gifts that you have given. So often, Lord, I live as if I don't have eternal security. I live as if, as if I'm going to lose it. Lord, I thank you for your word and your scriptures that they remind us of who you are. They remind us of what we are, and that's okay. You're faithful. We're faithless. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.